Hello and welcome to EuroLeague. Uh, today we're going to bring you an LEC preview show, as obviously LEC does start this weekend, and I am joined by some very special guests, of course, to do so. Uh, at the bottom of your screen, you will see uh, Young Buck, obviously the uh, hard-stuck six-star general, as I now refer to him, uh, and also the head coach of the only team who celebrates making playoffs like they won Worlds. Uh, I'm also joined by the assistant coach of Rogue, uh, Seal, who, for you movie buffs, his real name is actually Christopher Lee, which I didn't know until I Googled it, but that's pretty cool. Uh, now, obviously, I think you're, like, you're a... Australian resident, right? But you you grew up in Korea, so is that like your West a Western name that you chose, or how does that how does that work? The other way around. I, I grew up in Australia, and then obviously uh, have a have a Korean name on the side. So. Oh, okay. So you were you were christened, or you were uh, your birth certificate yeah. is Christopher Lee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, no, 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 no. Um, I was I was born in Korea, and I got a okay. English name over there. Was that, a, was, yeah. was that a deliberate choice by you or your parents, like to call yourself Christopher Lee, or is that just a fun coincidence? Well, I mean, I, I was a kid when I moved, and um, my mum said, uh, "What? What do you want for a name?" And uh, I didn't know. I said, "Whatever." And yeah. they named they named my sister first, Christina, and then she couldn't be bothered, so she said, "How about Chris?" And they're like, okay, how about Christopher? And then I went with Christopher. So okay, so you were completely unaware at the time of your namesake. Yeah, I just find yeah. that really cool. But anyway, yeah. cool. Anyway, yeah. So as I do have two coaches on the show today, before we dive into it, I do actually have a coaching conundrum for you. Right? This is a would you rather. So my question for you is: Would you rather? And I'll start with you, Joey. Would you rather never be able to play any esports title again whatsoever, like casually or whatever, but you can still coach anything that you want to, or be able to play every esports title but never be able to coach again? Um, I'd probably go for coaching over playing, but that's mainly just because it's my income and I have a family. And there's probably a lot of games that are not esports titles that I can still play, even Animal though crossing. even... Yeah, it would even like the niche games like like Pokemon, there's even like esports for Pokemon battling, so that's like it's actually pretty difficult to find any game without an esports side these days. Yeah, very true. What about you, Chris? Well, um I think I'd have to go with coaching as well, but it's a bit hard for me because I actually think that coaches need to play at least a little bit. Um and I know that's quite a different philosophy to a couple uh, top coaches out there like Peter Dunn, right? Um but yeah, I'd probably have to go with coaching, predominantly because, you know, I would never make anything out of any esports game if it wasn't for coaching. I'm just really talentless when it comes to the hands, and yeah. you know, I know Joey, you are a, you're an ex professional player, but for me, I just don't have it in me to click <laughs> <laughs> buttons and and things like that. Don't worry, <laughs> Joey can late. still emphasize with you on the hands thing, so it's it's fine. Yeah, absolutely all on the same page here. Uh, so yeah, but yeah. uh, just on that quickly, so are you of the school of thought, Chris, that you think it's like helpful if a coach has played at like a decent level or do you just mean sort of being familiar with the game by playing it in in general even if it's not a, a very high level I, I mean i think it depends from coach to coach but i i do think that um you know coaches should play for the sake of understanding like dynamic damage a lot better um even just exercising uh some like lane lane orientated stuff right i think you just get a lot better of an idea 
Uh, nowadays, is like lane coaches and stuff and, and these uh, bigger budget teams. So it's not as important. But uh, when you really want to understand uh, the game from a lane perspective, I do think you need to play the game. Yeah. Fair yeah. enough. And Joe, do you think your career would have been significantly harmed or do you think you'd be like a significantly worse coach if you hadn't played at a decent level or how, how do you view that? Yeah, it was primarily that I owe my coaching career to being a player previously and having that like reputation or name carry over. But I don't really think that a coach has to play the game. Um, I feel like solo queue is so much different from scrims and professional play that there isn't really much to take away from. I just like to go into solo queue every now and then to test champions that I think are really broken and then show it to my player like hey if i can win on it so can you so if you just look up my opgg you'll see that we're gonna play sack in the lec this weekend weekend okay, because yeah. this is really broken fair enough uh, I, sorry so i want to clarify because it's, it's, i think it's important I, I actually agree with joey like you, you don't have to play as much when you get to like the lec level but for me personally i think when you're just starting out and you're in the amateur leagues before going into say academy or an erl um you really have no idea. Uh, I mean, a lot of people out there have no idea on how the game is broken down. So I think Soloki helps you build systems um, and helps you understand the game at a fundamental level. Um, and then you can move on to, you know, learning from better players and stuff like that. But the bare minimum for me would be like Diamond, Diamond 4, Diamond 1, some, somewhere around that range. And then, uh, yeah, the higher you go, the less important it becomes, I think. Fair enough. Um... Cool. So, yeah, before we jump into, obviously, previewing um, Summer, I just wanted to touch very briefly on, obviously, last split um, and just get your thoughts on, basically, the discrepancy, if there was one, from both of your perspectives about how that split went overall. And what I mean by that is, obviously, G2 won for long periods of time during the regular season. Rogue looked like they were the best team, even to a certain extent during playoffs. Then there was a suggestion, oh, maybe Fnatic have their number. Maybe they're actually the playoff favourites. And then, yeah, obviously they got beat out by Rogue and then Rogue got completely swept by G2. So in terms of how the season went as a whole, from like your own team's perspective, uh, perspectives, but also your expectations for other teams, I'll start with you, Seal. Did you feel like it went as expected? Like, obviously you guys have the benefit of scrims and stuff as well, right? So you have a sort of feel for like maybe real level versus stage level and so on. Did did you Were you surprised at all by, by how spring went? Well, I actually think we should have won. Um, you know, th that didn't go to, <laughs> didn't go to plan, right? But um, yeah, not really. I, some of the standings surprised me. I think Vitality, everyone was surprised by Vitality, right? But for us yeah. personally, I, I thought, you know, top three at the minimum when we, when we first started scrims. And I'm not just saying that because, uh, because it's my own team, right? Uh, just looking at scrims and from my previous experience and from what I can see from other teams, I just thought that we were we were the best team or we were one of the top teams. So, yeah, not surprised at all. Okay, and what about you, Joey? How, how did you think things were going to go? So I think there were four major surprises. Um, so you touched on Rogue, so I'll touch upon it as well because when the roster was announced, I think the word behind the scene was that Rogue was actually probably not going to make playoffs with, that, with those roster changes. So that was a really positive surprise because I think you guys were the best team for most of the split. Um, Another one is G2 winning playoffs because that's also something that not many teams saw coming. They were really good in scrims, but they almost never got it together on stage. And it always felt like their roster wasn't... Like their bot lane was just not good enough to win a split, but they turned out to be good enough. And Misfits, I would say. I, I felt like Misfits was going to be like a bottom three fighter and they made playoffs. 
Um, I think they made like third or fourth place. They actually got in really easily. Like they got a lot of wins, and I I felt that it was really unexpected given the roster and how they were in scrims. So they massively overperformed, I think. And then negatively Vitality. Like I think they I think it's safe to say they have like the most expensive roster in Western history. And they've literally finished. Like they, they actually needed Astralis to throw a, a, a one game against them to make playoffs. Otherwise, they wouldn't have even been there. Of course, they could have gotten their points elsewhere. But it's actually crazy to think that they were so close to missing playoffs. Yeah, no, uh, the Misfits one's a one that gets a bit uh, not really talked about too much because I guess it didn't really peter into like a major storyline. But I actually think in my preseason tier list, I had them missing playoffs for sure. I'm, I'm pretty sure. So yeah, that was a, actually a much bigger uh, surprise than I think a lot of people give uh, credit for. Um, in terms of like how the the meta was last season or last split rather, and obviously there's been a lot of talk and uh, about these new sort of pre-split patches and so on with the uh, sort of perceived damage nerfs to assassin play and AD carry play. Obviously, I don't want you guys to divulge anything about what's going on in scrims, but you know, you've had a chance maybe to watch some of the ERLs as well. How for, for the sort of the casual or let's say the not super tapped in meticulously analyzing every patch note fan out there how would you sort of holistically describe these patch changes is it going to be like completely different our fight's going to go way longer and assassins are going to not be relevant and ad carries are going to have to you know stay in the fight for much longer how, how do you think this has changed uh things if at all chris uh, obviously not going to be divesting specific picks and, and, uh, strategies, but I think overall, it's just, the games have become more fun for me personally to watch. And I think they will be for the viewers as well. Like fight, fights in general become longer. And I think one of the most interesting things about esports, even before I was involved in the industry, um, and the funnest thing to watch about League of Legends was it's team fighting and the late game. Uh, so I really think that this patch, uh, hit the nail on that one and, I do think that fights will go longer and, and yeah, the, the teams will be more focused on, on team fighting. Do you yeah. think in that sense, it there is kind of more of an onus on the AD carry in terms of like, you know, depending on, on specific picks or whatever, or if you are just far ahead with enough range on a jinx or so on, you could kind of just melt through a team fight fairly quickly. Maybe that's not quite, do you think that there's now more of an onus on a skilled AD carry to be more consistent? Or is that kind of a myth that people just sort of extrapolated from reading the patch notes briefly? I mean, I think I think bot lane is not just about bot lane. It's about mid jungle, and it's about how well resources are distributed across the map, right? So uh, when you're looking at the game right now, I think there's damage in a lot of roles. I think obviously AD carry uh, slightly more important than before. You know, less utility, uh, but it's not it's not all up to all up to bot lane. It's about how well. You know, mid jungle moves, plays around bot lane, how well they can skirmish around topside, around herald. Um, so yeah, yeah, I, I wouldn't just say it's on the AD carry. I think yeah, it's a well-rounded game nowadays. And what about you, Joey? Are assassins dead, or has that been over overstated as well? A little bit overstated, but there's a hint of truth to it. We played a lot on the MSI patch and on. 12.9 so i think msi was on 12.8 so we were in korea boot camping and i feel like from those patches to the durability patches there aren't that many big differences yeah there's a few burst champions here and there and just about about every role that aren't seen as often um, but i feel like 90 percent maybe even more than that it's just the meta is very similar and it's more that like individual patch notes for champions have really influenced the 
the priority and not so much the patch itself. Cool. Right. So now I want to jump into the big team changes that have happened. Obviously, again, you guys are going to be, you know, somewhat political about what you can and can't say. But um, I want to talk about some of the changes that some of these teams have made and sort of get your general sort of thoughts on this. So starting with uh, Vitality, obviously, this is probably arguably, I guess, the biggest transfer story of the offseason. Uh, Self-made is no longer the jungler. They've actually brought in two junglers. Um, there's sort of some beh some behind the scenes -y stuff that's going on, which is some. So there's a bit of confusion about who's going to be playing and when out of these two guys. But basically, they brought in two Korean, oh, well, Haru and Bo um, to play jungle. Obviously, Haru, for people that don't know, was actually playing in Europe uh, last split on X7 in the NLC. Uh, looks very good to my eye, but again, you're you know it's kind of like farmers league a little bit like certain things are not always as they seem in that sense so what were your initial impressions joey when you saw this change not necessarily about you know talking too much about self-made and why he, he might have been dropped or whatever but did you did you see obviously xl or jdxl as as some people might know are actually in the same league as a uh, x7 so did did uh, haru impress you at all did you see him much in the u masters or, or the nlc what do you think of these changes I didn't watch him a lot, but in our like uh, individual scouting, so scouting, he came up as one of the top junglers on uh, the EU West ladder. And I, th so I, as a competitor, I worry about the change because I feel like Vitality had an identity that they weren't aware of, which was uh, self-made was the win condition, whether they liked it or not. Um, but they were trying to force like top lane win condition, um, playing through mid. But I felt like self-made was really the player that was either going to win them or lose them the game. And Haru is a player that plays a lot around bot lane. And I feel that it's a very consistent way of winning the game. So I think in theory, Vitality is better just because they have changed their identity as a team completely to something that is way more consistent with like their level of skill in like individual skill as players. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point, actually, because I think that was kind of like the buzzword around vitality was identity like what is their identity what are, like it seemed like they at times didn't even know what their win conditions were and you're thinking when you bring in such high profile players who have previously in different parts of their career at least been heavy carry players in you know perks and alfari how that would work and actually yeah a lot of the time it was the guy who ended up leaving the team maybe who was actually the secret uh, sort of win condition as you said what do, i mean what do you think about this chris do you, do you know much about Bo as well or how, how much have you seen yeah. of harry what do you make of these guys uh, i've seen quite a few bow bots actually because um in the last off season i almost went to, went to la um and <laughs> i i uh, we did some scouting on Bo for for a few teams actually well, i did some scouting on Bo, and they also had uh, he was one of the top names that came up there as well you know um, the problem with Bo is obviously there was a lot of controversy around his name. So I think a lot of brands were um, hesitant to pick him up. But given the, given the context from what I know, I think that um, it's fair to give him another chance. And I, I think he's an exciting prospect because mechanically he is extremely, extremely good. Extremely good. Now, how well he will perform under an under a international setting where he, he needs to speak English and adjust, I, I don't know. Um, that that that's something that we'll have to see, but uh, for me, the the more interesting point is that self-made was benched, right? Because I think he was he's a very good player, and just like Joey said, I I do think that they had a win condition. You know, I think that uh, the the win condition was playing around self-made, and 
it's partly because I think he's very good at making players play around him and finding resources on the map. Um, so he kind of pushes that on onto other lands. Now, uh, uh, will uh, Haru be able to fill that gap? I don't know. Um, but uh, I, I'm sure that the, the Vitality management and, and the coaching staff have their own reasons. Um, same for the players for making this change. Yeah, no, it's going to be really interesting to see. And if it does just suddenly click, I think a lot of people will have question marks about you know, sort of what what was going on and why didn't it work before? Because as you say, as you both said, Selfmade is a really good jungler, regardless of any sort of added baggage or unknown factors behind the scenes. But cool. So from one Korean uh, replacement to another, and I'm looking at Astralis now here in what I would say is sort of maybe the from my perspective is kind of the weirdest roster moves. Um, obviously, they kept the mid laner Deor, also the AD carry Kobe. And then they changed top, jungle, and support. Uh, a guy called Jiong Hoon, uh, who I've honestly never heard of before I uh, found out that they were going to pick him up. Um, of Xerxes come back from NA to play jungle. And Vizacharchi, who was playing in the ERL's last split, and to be honest, to my mind, didn't look that great, uh, is playing top. I mean, he looked fine, but again, you have to contextualize these things. So... Starting with you, Joey. Like, what do you what do you think about this lineup? Uh, obviously, you can't be as brazen as I can. To me, it looks really weird and uh, kind of directionless. Um, you've got a incredibly well, I would say, a washed top laner. If I'm being frank, a jungler who can can be good when last seen in action, or when I shouldn't say that when I last saw him in action was two seasons ago, and I didn't think he looked great in Xerxes, but, you know, who knows, environment, so on, maybe. He was a good uh, jungler once upon a time in Europe, and he's still pretty young, so I guess I have a lot higher hopes for him than I do for Vizzy. And then, again, this this support, this Korean support player who I have know nothing about. Um, what are your feelings looking at this? Have you, had you heard of the support player before they picked him up? No, I was going to start with saying, like, I have no clue who he is or how good of a player he is, so I don't really have a strong opinion on that, but I do feel like I can be fairly brazen. I, f I really like Vizicacci as a person. He's a nice guy, but I don't see the upgrade there. I don't see Astralis performing better with that change. White Knight didn't have a particularly great spring split, um, but he was okay. He was fine. Uh, maybe there's some champion pool issues, but I don't see Vizicacci fixing that because he was also known as like a weak side player, really good on tanks. Um, doesn't really play champions like Jason Gwen, I think, at the highest level. Um, and Camille, for example. Uh, and the jungle, it also it 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 doesn't make a lot of sense to me because to me, Sansara has this identity as a player that he will not play what is meta. He will try to counter the meta with creative picks. And Xerxes is the exact type of player. He will not play what's meta. He will try to counter it. So it 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 doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, and for jungle, promise you actually had a fairly decent spring split. And at least uh, when we scrimmed them, he was a pain in the ass always. So I, I I'm not really sure what the reasoning behind those changes were. Yeah, I guess uh, the only sort of synergistic thing I can see here is that you've got Xerxes who likes to play these, like, at least historically, these, like, hyper-scaling uh, jungle options, you know, as you say, off like stuff like Ivan or whatever, and you're pairing him with someone like Kobe, who at least the narrative around Kobe is he's the late-game AD carry, right? Which I'm not actually sure how true that is. I think he was just less... <laughs> it's going to sound very harsh, but less bad when he gets to late-game at least in the last few years, than he is in the early game. But I, I guess I can see some kind of, like, hypothesis there, which makes some kind of sense. And to a certain extent, Vizicharchi as well plays these 
weird picks which do well into the late game like your poppies and so on so i guess you know if everyone manages to get on their picks and they don't fall super far behind in in the early game then it can kind of work but what, what do you what do you think about this chris do, do you see any sort of logic or method behind these acquisitions and i should all again start with the support player do you know who the hell this guy is uh i think uh, i think he was a challenger player uh, in korea like challenges player in academy um under dumb one i'm not i'm not exactly sure i remember seeing his name i think from the notes a while ago he was okay in lane like that's what i had on him i'm not sure how he was very recently sorry um, to cut you off very quickly but just to give this right. some context um yeah. so he played for busan ascension then element mystic and then his most recent team was bro challenges that's right that's right fred 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 Bryan or something isn't it or something, yeah. something like that yeah. yeah um i i do remember seeing his name he seemed okay in lane a lot of korean supports are pretty good in lane uh just because the the laning level is significantly higher uh and and my my guess with this whole change is not just about jonghoon specifically i think it's more of a divested interest in wanting kobe and dayo to succeed and the reason I say that is because I'm actually the one that linked uh, Visasachi when he was making a comeback and looking for a team to peace, who played at Worlds. Uh, and the value that a player like Visasachi brings is not necessarily explosiveness or laning or anything like that. I'm, I'm sure there's a lot, lot to be improved there, but more so I would say his personality and leadership. And that alone, I know in stressful situations can actually lead you to get a couple wins on the board. Right. So for me, Visasachi is more of a leadership figure that they're bringing in to be able to lead the, the young players like they are that they want to keep on long contracts. And Kobe, who they think, or my assumption is that uh, Kobe, who they believe is a good investment that they think can win them games. Right. And everything else around that is just, you know, mixing and matching. For example, Xerxes is probably just another alternative because they want, they really want to see Dayor succeed and they want this project to succeed so they want to bring someone else in because the the previous you know jungle mid combo didn't work out too well right so i i really do think that this is just a main investment on on Dayo and kobe um but then again i could i could be wrong right so yeah i mean i'm not going to put you guys on the spot and ask if that's a worthwhile yeah. investment i would personally say building a team around Dayo and kobe is absolutely ridiculous but there we go um okay so now moving on to mad lions who obviously a lot of people had as uh making playoffs prior to spring split and some were surprised that they didn't make playoffs i wasn't that surprised to be honest because uh, i think humanoid uh gave a lot more than just just his gameplay to that team and i think that was basically just ripped out and not replaced at all so obviously the big news there is that niski is back in the mid lane that's the only change they've made so uh my question is and i'll start with you on this one chris do you think that, first of all, what do you think of the change? And also, do you think just putting Niski in is going to be enough to sort of make them a contender in, in summer? Yeah. <laughs> uh, for sure. For sure. Um, I personally have quite high opinion on Niski um, from the things I've heard and from what I've seen. Not necessarily because he's like the best laner or anything like that. I don't think he is, um, especially when you go to the world stage. But uh, what he provides in a team environment, what he's able to do in, on the map, um, for sure, I think this addition is what they needed, actually. And uh, 
I mean, I have some connection to, like I, I've spoken to Mac a few times and I, I'm pretty confident in saying that they know what they're doing over at Mad Lines in terms of coaching stuff. So I'm sure that there was a reason for this change. And uh, you, you, can't, you can't not say that Niski is an upgrade over Rika, right? Uh, and that's with me thinking that Rika is, you know, one of the top up and coming talents and he can do a lot. You know? Yeah. By the way, just, just on that very quickly, I want to kind of dispel this ridiculous narrative that's been going around that like, you have to give rookie players like a minimum of two splits. Like it's just such a stupid binary way of looking at it. Like obviously, yeah, you want to give rookies a lot of time to breathe. You understand they might not hit the ground running and you're hoping that there's something you can tap into over time. And yeah, they should be given more leeway in terms of having early bad performances than other players. But the idea that it's just like you have, like it's elite, it should be illegal to drop one after a split. is just so asinine. Like, most of us have no fucking clue what's going on behind the scenes in terms of their environment and so on. Like, you just don't know. And by the way, obviously, I have no, I don't know Rika at all. I don't know what kind of a person he is. So I have no clue. I'm just saying, yeah, in general, guys, try not to sort of just go all in on this black and white scenario of it's really bad to kick rookies. Like, mad lines of all teams, come on. Like, they give chances to rookies all the time. If they've made a change like this, it's because it's for they believe it's for the overall betterment of the team. We can't just be slaves that you have to start a rookie two splits in a row to your whole team's detriment, potentially, right? Like, it's just a ridiculous narrative. Um, but yeah, so Joey, what, what do you think of, of Niski coming back? Uh, wait, I'm tr trying to think. Did you ever have, did you ever coach Niski yourself on Fnatic or you? No, no, no. No, you didn't. Yeah, yeah. So from 2018, 2019, we lost caps and actually Niski was our first choice for Fnatic um, when we ended up signing Nemesis. Uh, we had a deal with Splice, but then Splice had at the like at the late stage of like the franchising suddenly got the LEC spot, and then they said we're not selling uh, Niski to you guys. So that's like the only interactions I've had with Niski. Then discussing also him joining the roster. Um, I think on paper it's a it's an upgrade. Uh, Niski is currently a better player than Reeker. I, I feel like it's a really sad story for Reeker because. We tried him out as well in the offseason, and he came across as a very professional and kind person. And from what I've heard from his former teammates, very hardworking and didn't have any personality issues. And usually when a player is banished after one split, people will draw a conclusion that is probably related to personality, which is probably not true. And yeah. it's, extra, it's also additionally tragic because Reeker was being fought over by like five or six teams in the West. And he ended up with the one roster that banished him after, a after one split. So... It's a really tragic story. May, uh, yeah. may I add to that real quick? Um, I don't think, like, look at the Mad Lions roster. They have Ilyoya, Armut, and, like, just Kaiser. If you just look at those three, Kaiser, just those three alone, can you ever imagine a world where they would bring in a rookie and not expect to win still? I don't think so. I think the Mad Lions management and that roster is still expecting to make playoffs and do very well. And if, if they don't think they can win the whole thing, I don't think they'll continue on with the investment. So, sorry, sorry for interrupting, but yeah. Oh, that's fair. No, I think that's it. Uh, yeah, kind of tacking on to what, to what I said. I, I Absolutely. Like, I don't think that they have to be beholden to, to what the, the community expects of them. If they, they're seeing loads of stuff that fans don't get to see and, you know, they made a, a judgment call and they'll either be vin vindicated or they won't. So, yeah, we'll have to wait and see with that. Um, so Misfits, as uh, Joey said earlier, a bit of a surprise package, I think, last season. They only made uh, one change, but it's an interesting one. Obviously, Hirit has gone back to Korea 
and their academy player irrelevant who has been getting quite a lot of good press i'd say from the erls as uh, one of the better top laners for sure is starting um chris have you did you manage to see much of uh misfit premiers games last last split what do you think of this guy very good i think i think i made an lfl tier list there's like five top laners that i think uh are really above and beyond i think it was ragnar uh irrelevant oscar Rinnen, jugenda and there was at least one more that I don't particularly remember off the top of my head. But uh, they were all based on how well they were able to manage their lane and play a lane. So for sure, I mean, this guy does deserve a shot. Now, is he ready for the LEC stage? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Um, how will he perform against better laners? I don't know, right? Uh, the, the majority of what I, saw, what I saw of Irrelevant was when um, we played against him in the LFL when I was in Vitality, right? So... Obviously, when, you're, when your competition is weaker, you do look better as well. So, I mean, I'm, I'm quite excited for this change, and I, I really want to see how he does. Yeah, I think, Joey, you didn't... I could be re remembering this wrong. Didn't you guys have a, a chance to look at him in some in-houses with lots of different tops? Yeah, we tried him out, and I think that Chris is probably... Your fifth guy is probably Kreis or Aggressivo. One of the yeah, two. Aggressivo. Aggressivo. Yeah, yeah, because it's LFL, right? So, yeah, Aggressivo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so we tried out Irrelevant, we tried out Aggressivo. Um, Irrelevant was mechanically quite uh, talented, um, but we did feel that he wasn't as communicative as we would want from a top laner in LEC level. So I think he's going to stumble a bit here and there in the LEC, like have a few bad games here and there, but I, th I think as his scrim partner's level is higher, he will probably just like start to match it and grow as a player. I feel like almost all of the players that Chris just mentioned can play in LEC and just need need some time to uh, get used to that level of competition. But I I think it's a it's a good move. Um, but primarily because here it seemingly seemed to just not care anymore or was like somewhat sabotaging the team or whatever. I don't know the story, but it sounded like he just was not motivated at all. Yeah, I mean, I so I have a slightly different uh, take on on Hirit as a player ability wise than most people seem to seem to do. I personally don't believe he was ever that good. When he was getting like loads of props, I felt that he was just uh, reaping the rewards of particular circumstances of the meta and how Razork was playing, rather than being like an exceptionally good top laner in my opinion. So I don't feel like I ever saw like that much of a heavy drop off sort of ability wise. But I think this is a scenario where. You do have a good top laner in Academy, and I feel like his performances last split did merit being given this opportunity. Again, I can't speak to his communication skills or anything like that, but this is why Academies exist, right? And I think if you have a player who plays in Academy and they're sort of, you know, top five in their role in the ERLs and, and show a, a good level, I'm happy to see that, that Misfits uh, have, have gone for this move because they're a team who's sort of yo-yoed um, between, like, injecting loads of money on veterans and making like weird for lack of a better word to be honest rosters with uh certain people but then also tapping into rookies obviously mercer came in last but as well so no i think i think it's an interesting one and, and i'm i'm certainly happy to see him get the chance at least um and that brings us to the final team who made um a roster change this split which is bds uh bds kept their jungler and mid laner and ad carry and replaced um, support with uh, Erdo and top with Agresivo, which is, again, two players from their academy team. 
um, who performed to a pretty decent level last split. Uh, what, what did you make of, of these guys' last split, Chris? Do you think they warranted being promoted? I mean, Erdo is someone who's been like always there and thereabouts in terms of like hypothetically which support players could maybe be given a chance in LEC. But it seems like he's been in that position for like two, three years at this point almost. What, what do you make of this move? I'm not sure. To be completely honest, I'm, I, I can't give you a solid answer on this one. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I, I'm actually not sure about, about, uh, about this one. So, I mean, let me, let me just have a look again. Yeah, what are you doing? I mean, from, uh, my, from my perspective, I guess from this might sound really harsh, but I feel like it's kind of addition by subtraction in the support position, at least. I do feel like while Limit has had some very good individual splits, particularly, I believe it was his second split on SK, um, he was very poor last split, I think. And even though Matty as well didn't have too many hot moments, in my opinion, I do feel like he was also hobbled by the way that Limit was playing the lanes and made to look a bit worse than he was. Having said that, I do think Matty still needs to have a good split to really sort of justify his place. Uh, going forward, but I I do feel like that change was kind of needed. As for Erdo as a player, I'd be lying if I said I had like really insane insight. Or I I did see a lot of his games. I just, I honestly can't really remember the impact he had or didn't have. Um, do you, do you know much about either of these two guys, Joey? Obviously, as you say, Agresivo, he's been floating around sort of uh, LEC trials for a while as well. What what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, he was the front runner in our trials for quite some time, right up until the week where suddenly Finn and Saganda were available for tryouts. So he was beating out all the ERL players, and particularly his communication was like very impressive. It was actually like high level LEC, um, very consistent in communicating his teleport statuses, what he wants to do in the map. Um, in terms of mechanics, he was also fine. There was no like really strong standout between those tryouts, so uh, that's why he was the front runner. And then we got the tryouts again at Finn, and both of them did end up beating out uh, Aggressivo. So I have some high hopes for BDS and top lane, if not for the short term, then for the long term. My biggest surprise was Xmeti staying on the roster. Um, so the way you put it, like he has to justify this split, why he is uh, the starter. It it felt like he had a very rough split, and yeah, I don't I don't know if he's going to perform very well in this type of meta either. Yeah, I mean, it, bot lane is just such a symbiotic relationship with your support that I do think it takes, I'm not calling myself a trained eye, but I think generally, like, there are, you do actually really have to look and see what individual mistakes are being made by both or either party to kind of ascertain. Because sometimes people will just get lumped in together as, oh, they really griefed the dive or, oh, he really uh, griefed the 2v2 because he's the one that died. But if you actually sort of, play it back and look at the individual things that are going on. Obviously, we don't have access to comms, but it's quite often the case that actually the person you maybe initially thought was at fault wasn't necessarily at fault. Um, and I feel with Matty and Limit, I don't think either of them had good splits, but I did feel like if I was going to be given the choice of you have to replace one or the other, I I, I think this was the correct move. Um, I, I agree with that. I so agree I, with that. Yeah, Chris, what, what, do you, what do you think about... Um, have you racked your brain around where you last saw Erdo and Agresivo as well, of course? I mean, I mean, it's rough because if, if you don't have something nice to say, you don't open your mouth at all, right? I mean, it's kind of... But for me, what I can say about that team is I think x Maddie was one of the top prospects that should join an LEC team after I saw his performances on K-Corp. 
And I played a lot of games against him, a lot of scrim games as well, um, being in Academy last year. Uh, so I, I definitely do believe that he is the type of talent where you want to invest at least two splits on. And I do think that he is the type of talent that can take you to playoffs and do well. Um, that being said, that being said, I think that I'm not sure if BDS's issue was specifically with top and support. I think it was more of a team-wide issue. And I think lanes really impact each other, you know, so that, that's really all I can say on that matter. I don't think it, it's particularly just bot lane or, you know, anything like that. I think it's holistic. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. So yeah, obviously all the other teams uh, have largely stayed the same. I guess for me, because I'm not going to put you guys on the spot again, because that would be, uh, yeah, there's, there's only one way that plays out. I guess for me, the most surprising, I suppose, in terms of keeping everything as was, is obviously SK, because to me, there doesn't seem to be like, oh, if you just give these guys like one more split, then you know they're going to be destined for playoffs or something. So I do find that surprising. I think every other team you can kind of justify for different reasons why they may have stuck with the teams that they stuck with and, and so on and why certain players deserve time. But sort of on that note, I now want to actually pick your guys' brains and uh, get your predictions on the six teams that you do think will make playoffs. Now, again, I don't want to put you in positions where you're shitting on teams, so we're not even going to talk about the order of the teams that we don't believe will make it. Hey, maybe that team that's coming seventh, you thought, you know, they'll just miss out by a game and actually they're a pretty good team. So starting with you, Joey, which teams do you think are going to make the playoffs and do you do you see it being you know massively different here do you expect there to be some sort of massive rejigging or do you think we're largely going to see the similar teams i expect to see a massive fight for sixth place um just based off of scrims we haven't scrimmed many teams many different teams but rogue is going to make playoffs g2 Fnatic, xl am i missing anyone no i'm not so Mad Lions looks not good in scrims. Vitality looks awful. Misfits on paper is not that great. So those teams are going to fight for playoffs, probably. And BDS, SK, Astralis are going to be probably losing to those teams. But I think it will be... So everyone expected there to be like a gigantic war last split. But I think this this is the split where it's actually going to happen. Um, Some people might also put us in that category with like Vitality, Mad Lions and Misfits. I just think the competition is extremely close for fourth to seventh place. Yeah, I mean, as as you said, and as we talked about before, even though I think they might even have been... I think they were joint third in regular season Misfits. I'm going to pick them to miss it. I just think, like, what I saw in, in playoffs as well, I, mean, I think they had one decent... They, they went five games with someone, did they, in their first series? I'm not sure. But what I saw after that as well, like, I don't know. I think I kind of drank too much of the VTO Kool-Aid. Like, I do think he is, like, very good, but I think I monstrously overrated him. Like, I think I kind of pushed him all the way to the top, like, bypassed Caps and everyone. I was like, yep, I think he's the best right now. And then after playoffs, I'm like, eh, I think I needed to pump the brakes a little bit. And I also feel that even though, again, I think a decent player, I think Zlatan got way... Mon- like, if you just look at how the MVP uh, or the positional voting went, he's he got way too many votes for me. It's like, yeah, okay, I think he decent player, good first split, all the rest of it. But beyond those two guys, and uh, Neon, actually. Neon was the, the one player I thought actually was kind of he was my unsung hero of the split i actually thought neon looked very competent um but i just don't feel they have enough as a collective and i feel like when they play for vto it doesn't really 
it's like a prop up job and they're not really playing like overall good league of legends it is just we are playing for vto and um, when they don't play for vto i think their win conditions are a bit confused i think sometimes they get like the copy effect where games drift so late into the game like sort of 40 plus minutes that neon just proves to everyone that he is actually a really good ad carry and gets a bunch of kills and plays team fights really well and they've won some games off that but i think in normal games that are played out normally misfits is a bad team and i think that their record massively flattered them last split um but what what do you think about this this uh team chris and, and who do you think is going to make playoffs first of all whoa because I've just realized if you've been around the scene long enough, okay, maybe it's just you, Young Buck, but he was like, this guy screams bad, good. I was like, whoa. <laughs> I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but um, I I mean, whoa. Uh, I, I actually think uh, XL will make it to playoffs. I'm, I'm pretty confident that XL will make it to playoffs. I think it'll be Fnatic G2 Rogue uh, pretty much guaranteed to be there, right, in, in playoffs. Um, I think we'll come first, by the way. So I, I can put a placing on that. But if not, if not this season, next season, eventually. Is but, that a regular season um, prediction or is that a and oh, playoffs? playoffs? Okay, playoffs, okay, okay. Playoffs, playoffs. I mean, guys, I'm I'm not here to mess around. You know, no no one in, in the road coaching staff is here to mess around. We're here to win it. So, um, Rogue number one, but in no particular order below that, I think Fnatic G two will make it, and then XL. Um, so that's and then Mad. I think Excel and Mad will be, you know, fighting for fourth, fifth place. Maybe they'll perform better. Who knows, right? You never know. Um, you know, th they could definitely pull off pull off uh, top three as well. And then for sixth place, I actually think Vitality will make it personally. Um, I think they have the the players to make playoffs. I think. Well, my hypothesis on why those changes were made was because of a clash in the way the game should be played, like a view in the way the game should be played. And uh, if you see some of the documentaries and you do some scouting, it's clear who it is, right? For me, for me, it's just perks. The, the way he wants to play and move around the map, impact side lanes. So if, if they scouted the right guy, um, if the reports are right on them watching 30 scrim games to pick up Haru or whatnot, and they're able to facilitate perks, I don't see why... They also can't push above the sixth place thing. So for me, actually, it's not just about sixth place. It's uh, fourth place to sixth place, and any any of those teams can perform better than we expect and, and really break top three. I actually think all six on the top have a chance to to do some damage. It really just depends on how the season goes and what happens, right? Yeah. Let me just yeah. push back very quickly on the perks thing yeah. and play devil's advocate yeah. here. If that is yeah. the case, why would you say that? Even, of course, you know, uh, maybe it wasn't the, the perfect team setup. Maybe uh, sort of too many chefs in the kitchen, different ideas how to play the game. But why wasn't Perks able to still bring them further than than he, he did based based a bit on, on what you're saying? I mean, I, I by the way, I, I agree. But what why do you think that if he just has a different jungler, Perks will suddenly be the difference? Because again, for people who don't know, I think Vitality made playoffs with like, an eight and ten record or something like it was a really touch and go. Well, I think it's 
I'm, I'm just trying to filter my words out here so it comes out. I think I'll try. With, with I'll translate for him. He's saying that self-made was such a meddling piece of crap that no, no, well, now he's out of the way. Actually, no, they no, can no, go to the promised land. No, no, I'm I joking. I'm joking. I don't, on, I don't think that at all. I just think that mid jungle is super important when you're building a team out initially, right? The, the later the game, the later and more advanced your team goes, it becomes important for everyone to play their roles, right? But initially, when you're like trying to start off and get off the finish line. Mid jungle is super important because of how it impacts either side lane. And then after you decide on, you know, what timers, you know, your jungles are moving to lanes and what timers, the side lanes are basing around your jungles and, and finding the enemy jungle and hiding your jungle's position by clearing walls. Like after you decide all of that, then it comes to what side you play for, you know. And if you look at Vitality, you can see in their play that they weren't sure which side to play for. And they weren't sure how they wanted to play. Did they want to wait for self-made's item spike? Right? Did they want to wait for his efficient clearing? Or did they want to move now and, and play on tempo? Right? So even if Haru doesn't perform at the level of self-made, right? and this is from speaking from a point where I haven't actually seen Haru play that much, right? Um, but I have a lot of respect for self-made's play, I think that just playing champions that Perks wants him to play or playing champions for the team is what Vitality needed. That, that's my guess. And that's my assumption on why they made this change. Okay. Right. So, so that that that's you know, and when you get a player like Perks, he doesn't get bad in one split, right? Like he he will deliver. Um, and I would be very surprised if they don't look stronger in summer. Scrims okay. aside. So yeah, to uh, to expand on this just a little bit, I now want to get your quick predictions on the three teams that are going to make worlds. So starting with you, Chris, obviously I think you assume Rogue. Do you have G2 and Fnatic or do you think there's like a decent chance that someone breaks breaks that trio up? Uh, I, I mean, I'm going to put Rogue there because I have my personal bias, but the other, the other two I'm, I'm going to leave open, right? Not because I disrespect any of these teams, but more so that I respect all the other teams equally, you know, like... And I'm not just saying that because we're on broadcast or whatever, right? If you... Like anything can happen in a, in a series. I do think the highest percentage chance, other than us, of make, going to Worlds is, is, um, is G2. But the third place, I could see anything happening, right? Who knows that you might have some internal implosion somewhere, right? Um, and a team disintegrates. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows if something happens? You, you never know. So for the third place, I'll leave empty, but I think G2 and Rogue will make it. And then, yeah, the rest is... Up to Lady Luck and hard work. What, what about you, Joey? Are you going to put Excel in there? I will. Um, I think Chris hit the nail on the head a little bit earlier because I feel like the between first and sixth, just about anything can happen. I feel like the the level of play is very close. And yes, there are some teams that are a little bit better than others. But I think on just the base of one split or like one best of five, it can easily be that a weaker team beats a slightly better team. So. I will give one spot to Rogue. I will give one spot to G2. Uh, just because both of those teams seem to not really drop much in level from start to finish. Um, I'm going to put us in Excel there as like a consistently decently, like slowly going upwards team. Whereas Vitality really missed the expectations that were there for them. And they didn't really seem to grow throughout the split or in the playoffs. Um, and Fnatic 
from regular split to playoffs was a completely different team and then there were all kinds of rumors going on so I don't know what's going on there but that's a team that could implode whereas I feel like Rogue and G2 will not implode at all um, so based on on that basis I think it's those three teams making worlds I think that's yeah sorry go on but by the way Rich your your analysis of the Neon thing I completely agree I actually think that I, I actually do think that VTO is as good as you place them to be maybe not above caps or anything but it's definitely up there you know, top three, you know, however you like to put it. Um, but I actually think that bot lane was, you know, very, very solid overall. Mercer too, very surprising. Yeah, I mean, I had, I, yeah, when I say I went way overboard, it's because I kind of, I skipped a couple of steps. Like, I still have him as, like, one of the top tier mids. It's just that I was, like, I got a bit carried away. To, yeah, he's the best European mid for sure. And maybe there's a little bit of a gap between him and number two, um, which, yeah, probably wasn't completely accurate. But I think you made a, a fair point as well, Joey, with, with Fnatic, which there is precedence there. Like, it would be easy to just... And I like that... Um, Chris kept third place blank as well because I do think there are question marks there. Ones which I think there definitely is a roster, of course, capable of addressing and definitely can make worlds. And I wouldn't be amazed, you know, if they won the entire split. But I especially think the way that they... I don't want to say that they, like, capitulated against Rogue when they got reverse wet because I do think that Rogue was, like, very competitive even in the games that they lost so i think it's easy to just be like ha they got reverse swept so that means that they mentally broke down but at the same time you shouldn't lose three games in a row like when you're two nil up regardless like if you're at a similar level to the other team you need to be able to find a way to win at least one of those games and when rogues balls started rolling they were just fucking Goomba stomps, like ridiculous. It was like, I mean, SK or Astralis would have put up a better fight than they did in those last two games. Like that was definitely mental boom to a certain extent. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they can bounce back from that and if there's like any sort of hangover from that. Um, but okay, cool. Now, speaking of worlds, I wanted to again get your sort of quick thoughts on Europe as a whole as a region. And obviously, you know, you guys watched MSI as well, I assume sort of primarily based on that and how in particular i guess korea and china look right now what do you think europe needs to change if anything to sort of compete with those teams and obviously we can say oh have a have better teams or make a new super but but in terms of like how europe has been playing the game like how what our approach to sort of uh, uh side priority and so on what do you think there's anything we can do to kind of bridge the gap was msi op like eye-opening for you guys in terms of like where the big gaps are what do you think about this chris I think we're just really bad in lane. Like we're unbelievable. Like the West is just unbelievably bad in lane. There are like a handful of players that can actually play on the world stage, toe to toe. And a lot of that just comes from the combination of ping and playing against players, that, other players that are incredibly mechanically gifted. If you look at the Korean server, uh, the, the the challenger league is actually very very hard to reach. Like most pros and most regions will go there and not make challenger. Even, even with all this illa inflation, right? Um, and part of that is because I think the Chinese league also plays in Korea, right? And they have a greater concentration of players. But part of that also comes down to, I think, just culture and, and attention to detail and this kind of stuff, right? So we, we need to... It's funny, funny coming from me because my, my, lane, my lane coaching hasn't been at the top level for, for a bit. But uh, I think the... We, we really need to step up our, our lane game and pay attention to how it impacts the game overall and, and the advantages that you get from, get from that, right? Um, and, and I think every time you see what happens if you fall in lane. 
I don't think the game is won through lane, but you at least need to go toe-to-toe for the rest of the game to play out. Who are the sort of a, a couple of the players that you, you might hypothesize could sort of hold their own in lane? Do you think there's also one lane in particular where we're sort of stronger in that area, like top or mid? Or what, okay. how do you feel about that? Okay, I can just speak openly about this. I think the West junglers, we are so bad in the jungle yeah. role. First, first of all, everyone is a herbivore and I lose my mind. Okay, like everyone is just grazing on the grass instead of playing the game. And then... Um, and every other every other lane has at least like one or two players that stand out. Like for me, I think comp is really really good in lane. Actually, when the dumb one guys came over here, I know for a fact that they played against him and they were like, "Oh, this guy has some, you know, he has some some style." You know, um, I think like upset, you know, the traditional upset, the the, the uh, comp, you know, Trimby, um, Achilles is definitely solid. You know, like Larson, very very solid laner. Caps as well because he has so much experience. Perks. These guys, they can lane for sure against top lane, uh, top players. I'm not sure how I feel about middle of the pack and under, especially if they're not on comfort champions. So they either have issues with memorizing all the matchups and, and taking the right stances and taking the right bases on, let's just say, wave 3-4 or, or like warding the right positions of wave 9. Like, it, it just depends on the role. But yeah, I'd say a lot of them uh, are very, very subpar. And on, on yeah. that uh, initial point you made about you feel that yeah. laning is where there's a, a very large gap between Europe and, and the East, what mm -hmm. can we actually do about that, if anything? Like, what, what would the approach be? Would it be simply, like, trying to copy? Or, like, how, how can we get better at laning? Uh, think about the game more uh, from a systematic point of view and, and make ways to play more consistently, right? I'm a, I'm a really big systems guy because um, I, I did a lot of study on like GTO, poker, um, trading as well. It's, it's all the same. Having a, having a direct system in which you can replicate success and, have, and understanding the interactions between each champion and, and cooldowns and stuff, like that adds to consistency and consistency a lot of the time equals uh, exponential improvement, right? Maybe drilling would help too. I know that um, Odo drilled with uh, Ragnar, right? I'm not sure how helpful that really was, but we we found a non non LEC team related top laner, and we drilled a specific matchup multiple times. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I do, think, I do think Asian teams do quite some drills because uh, when we were in Korea, there were like RNG players were trying to do drills with our players and SKT players as well. Yeah. So I think they do a lot of matchup training. Yeah. Well, I mean, we should, we should do more. I remember, um, I don't know what it's like now, and it's obviously, you know, you guys didn't play at, uh, at MSR or whatever, but in 2015 and 2016, but especially 2015, actually, he always gets more credit for 2016, but he was a better player, I think, in terms of uh, versus his peers in 2015. Otto was, like, shitting on the Koreans in scrims in his lane. Like, it was actually so stark. And obviously, this was at a time when... It was like Korea master race and like we're playing for second place essentially. And, you know, their their famed lane at the time was was top lane, basically. All the sort of, or a lot of the most legendary players were, were top laners. And he was actually shitting all over them. It was crazy. Um, and then, yeah, obviously in 2016, even though he had like better or bigger stage performances, as it were, 
it was not the same in scrims as it was in 2015. Like it would, it had more referred to the norm back then. Um, but back in 2015, we used to do a lot of like one v ones, like the the mid laners in the league at the time and the top laners especially. Uh, from different teams used to play against each other a lot actually and sort of do limit testing and matchup testing and stuff like that so that's that's actually interesting um i'm not as tapped in as i used to be in terms of like what the general sort of training schedule is but yeah i can imagine that simply playing solo queue and then going into scrims is probably not going to cut it from a sort of mastery of laning perspective like i don't see how knowledge is particularly acquired that way unless like a new champion comes out and someone shits on you with it and you're like oh okay that's how that works like beyond that as you say i think i i do believe in systems when it when it comes to training that kind of thing um but yeah joey what do you think on this like wh where do you feel we're really sort of lacking behind the east and do, do you have any sort of hope that come worlds that we will be able to compete with these teams Mall hope. I think if anything, uh, Europe not being very top heavy means that across the board there might be some teams that make it to like semifinals or like, yeah, just make it out of group stage, maybe put up a fight. Um, I do think we're behind in jungle and support across the board. In particular, I feel like AD carry is our strongest position compared to other regions. And I agree with Chris. I just feel like as the years have gone by, the level of a player that has been expected of them has really increased. Like what a player thinks of like the habits that they have. And back in the day, all you needed to do was know how to CS and deny CS or like uh, really hit an, hit your enemy when he was trying to CS. And these days you have to know where the enemy jungler is on your own. You need to know what ways you need to push, uh, when you need to base. You need to think about way more than you did many years ago. And I feel like in Korean and especially the Korean server where also the Chinese top pros play, this level is like the level needed to make challenger is, and the standard that is needed is way higher than in europe i feel like you can get away with way more so um uh, it's a lot to up to like the player base up to ping it's players pushing each other to become better because the average level is like the standard for making pro or like a top erl team needs to be way higher for us to be able to compete at a top level that's even with um players in korea saying that solo is a complete waste of time by the way that, that's how much the level like that's how much higher the level is and solo queue is like terrible for practice right in a lot of cases you're really just pushing limits and whatnot um but just that that base level of competition is just that much higher and, and the low ping helps so yeah you... and with that point about odo sorry with that point about odo yeah i definitely agree i think he's like one of the top laners um when he was in shalke he showed that as well right uh so so yeah i think do you guys think, because this is a theory that I've had and when people have been talking about the problem, this has usually been a point made in connection with like NALCS and saying these are just the fundamental issues with the region because the server's on this coast and blah, 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 whatever. But one of the biggest issues, and you can argue that these issues are kind of connected and will snowball off each other. But to me, one of the biggest issues is server population. And obviously, if we take two extremes out of the quote unquote major regions, NA, very low server population. China, obscenely ludicrous server population. So my quick question on this is, do you think there just becomes a point that regardless of how good our methodology becomes and approach to, you know, evolving our laning or whatever, that the sheer amount of p p human pool that China have to pull from is just going to be insurmountable going forward, that they just simply have so many 
players playing the game and competing against each other and bottlenecking into this obviously because China have the super server they also have these multiple other servers where you just have so many good players playing against each other at the bottleneck at the top that it might just not be possible for I mean forget about NA like that's, that's you know you've got just a bunch of one tricks occupying half of their challenger spots right so but from an EU perspective do you think that is going to be something where you know, even more so going forward, we just might not be able to compete. Like, essentially, we're like a small little island compared to, you know, what, what China has from a player-based perspective. I think it's possible. Of course, we're going to be underdogs for a very long time, and I think it has a lot to do with server population. It's just that the region needs, like, very top-heavy teams. And it feels like this year and the previous year, we didn't have that. But, for example, G2 2019, uh, Fnatic 2018, those were very top-heavy teams. Uh, you could even say like G2 in 2017, 2016. Like the, they were really dominant in the region, and then they usually performed well at international tournaments. Sadly, not G2 2016 or 17. But uh, so I think there is hope if there are like super teams that are actually working. Because I I feel like on paper a team like Vitality or Fnatic should be able to compete with the best teams and. On paper, at the start of the season, I would have said Rogue wouldn't be able to, but what, from what I've seen, they could also compete with top teams in, in the East. Yeah, what do you what do you think, Chris? I mean, that's, that's actually a point I, I, or an angle I hadn't really thought about it because a fan perception is always like when people say, oh, Europe's not as strong as it was in 2019, and then the fans will say, oh, don't be stupid, only G2 was good. But yeah, maybe that's kind of the point, like to be good as a smaller populace you kind of have to stack the deck into, you know, uh, one one or two teams being your representatives rather than if you spread the talent over more teams, maybe you're not going to have as much international success. What, what do you think about, about that, Chris? Oh, yeah, this is great because it's another topic where I can just speak. Um, first of all, EUNE, why does this server exist? I mean, you might as well play in Oceania. Like, it's the, the level is very, very low, right? Just merge the server um increase the player population uh i mean possibly it's a ping thing but the competition is more important than the than the ping right and then when you're talking about um player population for sure for sure but at the same time i think in pro play the most important thing is the quality of scrims like that 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 should be the most that should be the highest grade of importance when it comes to improving as a player um and I think the the reason why China is good is because they have sixteen top teams. Uh, they have like sixteen teams in the LPL or something like this, and then they have and they also scrim Korean teams, right? So the level of competition in general is very high. And might I note, as much as we say high player population, high popula player population, a lot of it comes down to culture in terms of improving. Because if you actually watch any of the solo queue games in China, aside from Super Server and Ionia, the level is actually not anything amazing really really and and if anything a lot of chinese players play in korea right so is it really the amount of people playing the game sure it definitely makes an impact um but should a server as big as europe not be able to perform in an international stage i'm not sure for na i could see the point for na you might as well just import the best players or just bring in a really good coach that's kind of what you have to do have a really really good internal system in improving and they're doing this with like champions queue and i know the fact I know for a fact that a lot of um, top teams in, in, in NA are doing one-on-ones. But yeah, I, I really think that it's, it's more to do with the, the, the schedule and the, the work ethic and the systems more than how many people are playing on a specific server. And just to add, I actually think that ageism is 
a huge myth uh, in, in esports. I think it's been proven by the average age of professional players increasing every year. Uh, the reason, I mean, there was actual study based on this, and I remember Faker talking about it in his pro- broadcast, where um, the, the reason people think that esports players have a really young age is not just because of poorly managed careers and wrist injuries and all of this. It's because the internet only really boomed around the 2000s, right? So the average age of players coming into the scene was much higher back then. The, uh, the average age of, uh, age of players starting, you know, an esports title was much it was a much higher age in, in general, right? But when you go to like StarCraft 1, Brood War, and you see players like Flash in 2007, 2008, he, still, he can still compete with the best of the best in Korea easily in any of the tournaments. And he's like 30-something, I think, or tw- like in, his late, in his late 20s, right? And Faker too, he's 25. Um, you know, these players can play till 30, 35. So it really depends how well do we use our talent, what resources do we divest, um, into these players and how well can we integrate things like performance coaching so that we can lengthen their careers and you know really develop their mental health so that, that they're able to last longer oh, yeah i've I've spoken about this but before briefly and obviously i used to play um competitive F- fps titles and it was sort of 15 years ago now and i I still play them now. Like I don't put that much time into them, and I'm not that great or whatever as as I used to be. Like I'm just a, a random pleb at this point. But I don't feel like my and I'm much older than you know most of the LEC pros or whatever. I don't feel like my reactions or anything have like dissipated at all. Um, if anything, just through through like muscle repetition or whatever. Even if I don't have enough time to sink into the game to become well rounded and actually good at the game, like the base physical and mental and hand-eye things that people associate with biology and aging and so on again purely anecdotal but i have seen zero decline whatsoever in that like from myself like i've never had a moment where i'm like man 10 years ago i'd have hit that flick shot it's like no i could could definitely still do it i i personally believe i'd even go a little bit further than you i'd say sort of maybe mid 30s and then you know beyond then then if things come foggy and unclear and so on but yeah i think i see no reason other than as you say poorly managed careers and burnout to to sort of be a block there um on on this note in terms of like how what things that we can potentially do to give ourselves a better chance do you guys believe and obviously i don't want you guys to talk about um you know to confirm or deny any anything i'm going to say here but in terms of the rumored lec expansion that's always been earmarked for uh, the end of this year going into the beginning of next year the rumor for those of you who don't know is is that two teams will potentially be added again i'm not confirming or denying that and i'm not going to ask these guys to either but from a hypothetical perspective if a team or a couple new teams came in say it's k corp koi whoever some you know decent orgs with some big backing and money do you think that would help the league would you welcome that or do you think that it won't really change much and, you know, it's it's not necessarily going to be a positive? I guess especially in mind with what we said about maybe, you know, stacking teams and having the best players over a few teams. Do you, th- do you think it's something, a, a help or a hindrance when it comes to this kind of thing? What do you, what do you think, Joey? Do you, would you welcome this? I would welcome it on the basis that I think it's just good for League of Legends or for the LEC if uh, big brands enter the league. Um I don't think that the level of Europe is going to increase based off of those teams joining. I think, generally speaking, uh, 
Yeah, I'm gonna say that the ERL team is a little bit overrated. A lot of teams are like, this team is gonna make would make playoffs in the LEC easily, etc. I don't really see it, but I I can see like an org like K Corp if they join and want to really spend and they could make build a super team, uh, that that would be good for the league. But I feel already like we're really thinned out in when it comes to international competition. There's a lot of teams and players that are currently in LEC that will really struggle against like top three top three uh top three teams in korea and, and china so i don't think it really elevates the skill level do you think that maybe perhaps though it gives us as a region a greater margin for error and what i mean by that is let's say there are 20 really top erl players that teams lec teams are looking at and obviously lec teams aren't perfect they make shitty decisions all the time right it's like what the hell would you go for this guy instead of that guy like none of us can know for sure but if you have two more rosters of 10 let's say they come into the league essentially unless they're going for free agents or buyouts or whatever they're also going to be bringing potentially 10 new faces to the league right like each off season or each year so you do not think that maybe that helps us hit on players more uh, just as an example, if K Corp came in, or let's not say K Corp, let's say a, a team who maybe aren't quite as big brand wise, they come in, they bring in 10 ERL players, or between two teams, 10 ERL players, and three of them across two teams just absolutely pop off. Maybe they go to the big team the following year, and suddenly we had talent that we maybe would have had to wait on a, another year before they even became available, right? Like, do you think maybe it could work in that way? Or do you just think that actually that? the level of talent in Europe itself is fairly top-heavy and that there aren't actually as many hidden gems as, as fans seem to think there are. No, I, I do think there is a good point that you have there because we do feel like... There's a lot of positions right now where there's like one or two players, at least in the ERLs, where you do think like they should have been in a LEC team. Um, I, but I also think that if you do have 12 teams, you're still going to have those one or two players that should be on a LEC team. Um, so I think it's more up to the individual organization that joins and how ambitious they are, because if they're going to build like budget rosters, then it really doesn't add anything to the to the league at all. So it's it's very de dependent on just which organization joins. Sure. What, what do you think, Chris? Um, it's actually a really interesting topic because it's one of the projects that I'm working on. Um, and it has a lot to do with the amount of players in the scene. I, I believe the number is rough, rough, roughly around 1,600 to 1,800 players in Europe. Um, I could be wrong, just for League of Legends. Uh, and if Reckless isn't an ERL team, obviously, you know, from uh, from an opportunity perspective, I do think that these players deserve to be in the LEC. Uh, and in addition to that, if we're talking about the pure numbers that these these orgs will bring into the organize uh, into the LEC, of course, it's beneficial for I think most, if not all, parties involved, right? Um, but then again, is this from a purely business standpoint, is this something that will save League of Legends and will extend the the duration or shelf life of of our our uh, livelihoods, right? Of 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 our sport, I'm not sure. I think esports as a whole, from like an economic perspective, has been growing for nine years straight, like at almost 100%, you know, growth rate or something like this, and it's stalling because of the the issue with its business model fundamentally right that you are bringing in i mean i'm sure you know this because you're an ex-owner the fact that you're bringing in money from sponsorships from um from essentially being a marketing agency almost uh, that in itself is unsustainable so what we really need from a business perspective is not to just bring more players in all that does is increase the amount of volume that we get on the on the top end right if you look at the growth of esports compared to you know uh video gaming as a whole especially during the covid 19 epidemic 
it hasn't been anywhere near as close to that. We're, we're a small, tiny droplet in the ocean, right? And you can see that through the Twitch viewership. You can through, see, see that through world viewership, however successful we are in the East. So yes, of course, I'd like to see these teams coming because I'm a very competitive person and I want, uh, like I want to compete against these players and I want to see more people involved and, and players that deserve an opportunity to have these opportunities. Um, but know from a perspective where like, this is not, this is just a temporary solution, right? It's a temporary buff. Yeah. And yeah, no, from, from, I mean, from an owner perspective, obviously the equation that people have to have in their head. And I think some people have miscalculated is any expansion is bad because obviously it devalues per slot, right? Obviously the, the fewer slots there are theoretically, the more value there is, but I don't think these people understand that unless they're the biggest fish, i.e g2 you'd probably say at this point it doesn't because if you bring in a brand like k corp again obviously the devil's in the detail if you bring in the wrong brands and it does if you brought in two shitty brands that would absolutely devalue the project for sure as joey said there's like no benefit to anyone if people if, if bad brands come in with low budget complete waste of time if huge brands come in with big budget at least from a selfish perspective from all of our perspectives it's good because it does just bring more eyeballs and more short-term gain um, and for the owners who aren't you know for mad lines for example or, or other orgs that maybe don't have as many fans they should consider that a good thing as well because obviously the viewership of their games on aggregate will go up by virtue of being surrounded and to be honest propped up by bigger brands will grow exponentially and for those who yeah. can't understand that if you have a tiny crappy brand and every other team in the league is a huge brand guess what your brand is going to become really big and all of your viewership is going to be really high because you're always partnered and always paired off with these big brands. It's like you get to do, uh, you know, uh, initiatives with Coke and the next day you get to do it with Ferrari and Ralph Lauren. It doesn't matter how small you are. If you're leeching off all of your partners who are bigger and better than you, then everyone wins, right, in that sense. Um, so, yeah. yeah, I think sometimes owners are a bit short-sighted about that. And I think they should embrace it as long as the partners are the correct partners. But as you say, there's a million and one issues in terms of long-term financial sustainability that these people are facing as well. I mean, realistically, there's never going to be a broadcast deal, which obviously is is difficult. And you, you don't really have the base level viewership to bring in a broadcast deal because you're immediately going to cut your viewership and it can't really afford to be cut in half. Um, so yeah, there's there's lots of, 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 of complicated issues there, but yeah, in general, it seems we, we still have a long way to go to compete with the East. But anyway, that's going to be it for today, guys. Uh, thank you to both of you for joining me. And uh, yeah, let's see what happens this weekend. I would just note that Rogue especially have a pretty insane start. I think you're playing Fnatic week one and then uh, G2 the next day, right? It's from Friday and then Saturday. Um, so yeah, it's going to be a pretty big week and see you all soon.